everyone, and welcome to episode 5 of the Because We Went to Therapy podcast. I'm Emily. And I'm Ashley. And today we have a really awesome episode about self-compassion. But before we do that, we wanted to start by switching it up and doing one of our actually curious questions. And so Ashley's going to pick a random one, and then um, we're both going to answer. Yep, so the question for this week to get to know us a little bit better is... When I visit a new city, I always make sure to blank. So I am big on itineraries. I know that's probably a hot subject because some people are like, I want to do nothing (laughs) and not have an itinerary. But I'm very big on having an itinerary because when I visit somewhere new, I like to, you know, make sure that I'm hitting the spots that I want to go to or see the things that I want to do or just explore the cities. That's that's something that's important to me. And so, yeah, I usually make an itinerary when I visit a, a new city. Um, what about you, Mm -hmm. Ashley? Yeah, I'm pretty similar. When I just went on my big road trip a month or two ago, I made an itinerary of like every single city we were planning on going to. And I wrote out all the good coffee shops and all the good Mm -hmm. hiking. So those are my big two things. I like to go to local coffee shops and try them out. And then Mm -hmm. also, um, any hiking and obviously like national parks that are within a couple hours vicinity and also anything that's unique to that city specifically like historically or culturally I like to add on to my list as well so we're pretty similar in that way and I feel like that's why we travel well together yeah we do we do we used to travel a lot more together we need to get back on that because we had some really fun memories I actually saw today that you were in um Arizona three years ago today for one of our, oh my your trips out here. So that was fun. It doesn't fun. feel like three years ago. I mean, as soon as COVID hit, it like we went on so many trips post-grad until COVID. And then once COVID hit, it's like I haven't left my house, essentially. <laughs> so yeah, we definitely need to get back on that. We do. So today we have an awesome episode, like Emily said, on self-compassion. And we'll be talking about what self-compassion is, some myths about self-compassion, and how you can work on building the muscle of self-compassion for yourself. So we wanted to start off this episode on self-compassion by discussing what self-compassion is. And there's obviously no like good, like right way to um, discuss self-compassion, but Kristen Neff, who is huge in the self-compassion world she has a couple of books I think about self-compassion and just the power of self-compassion and how to be more self-compassionate and she breaks self-compassion down into three separate components um and those components are one the first one's mindfulness which a lot of us have heard about in different ways but in terms of self-compassion mindfulness means you don't judge or exaggerate your thoughts you just sort of let them be And we're going to get more into this um, later in the episode, but this is just a general idea of what these three components are. Um, The second component is common humanity. And common humanity basically means that we're not alone in our thoughts, especially our negative thoughts. It is not, it's not uncommon for people to experience, you know, self-deprecating thoughts or thoughts that are really hard on yourself. So basically, common humanity says you're not alone. Other people experience these thoughts as well. And the third one is where the talking, the positive self-talk comes into play, and it's self-kindness. Self-kindness means 
what can you say to yourself if you're having, you know, self-deprecating or beating yourself up? What's a kind, kind word you can say to somebody else? Some things that you might say to a friend. What's something that you can say to yourself? So those are three components. Mindfulness, common humanity, and self-kindness. And like I said, I'm sure as we're going about this episode, we'll get deeper into each of those three components, but we wanted to provide a general overview, according to Kristen Neff and her research, what self-compassion comes down to. Mm -hmm. And I want to mention when I was doing research for this episode, if you Google self-compassion, the first 17 links are like Kristen Neff, Kristen Neff, (laughs) Kristen Neff. She's the main researcher, and I believe she was the first person to academically coin the definition for self-compassion and she has some really great TED talks on YouTube as well. They're like 15, 20 minutes long. So if you just want a quick synopsis of the definition Emily just went over, she goes into it really in depth in those uh, short TED talks. So definitely recommend those. And also while I was doing my research, I found a article from the medical school at the university of Pittsburgh and it talks about how they have found a correlation for women that score higher on the self-compassion scale, have thinner carotid artery walls and less plaque buildup than those with lower self-compassion. So essentially, there is a correlation between uh, lower risk of cardiovascular disease and having higher self-compassion, which just goes to show that having that self-compassion and self-love for yourself can and positive mental well-being overall can absolutely affect your physical health going into middle age so i just thought that was an awesome statistic and obviously a lot more people are doing research into self-compassion and mental well-being uh nowadays versus years ago so today we're gonna talk about know, busting some self-compassion myths, how it ties to uh, productivity and wellness culture, our own journeys with self-compassion, and how you can integrate that into your own life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and actually that article you mentioned, um, the reason being is because our physical and mental health are so tied together, and if you're constantly beating yourself up, that puts a lot of stress on your body which stress, you know, even before self-compassion came into the picture, we knew that stress can lead to heart problems. And so this is just another reminder that being kind to yourself truly is really important, just not for your mental health, but also your physical health. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And what Kristen Neff talks a lot about in her TED Talk as well is how self-kindness and self-compassion does release those positive you know, happy, quote, happiness hormones, like, mm-hmm. um, I'm gonna butcher the name, it's like Oxycontin and... <laughs> no, not Oxycontin. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's a drug. <laughs> Oxytocin, the hug hormone. Oxytocin, yes. <laughs> My bad. I'm dead. <laughs> we'll keep that in there. <laughs> yeah. Whoops. See, and I'm practicing self-compassion for myself. I made a mistake and I'm moving on. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm laughing with you, Ash, not at you. (laughs) I know. I know. And anyway, she also talks about how 
if you're not practicing self-compassion, you're being really hard on yourself, it does raise your cortisol levels and your body essentially can start to shut down, which anybody that's experienced chronic stress, which is probably the large majority of us, of course, has experienced uh, symptoms from high cortisol levels. So Mm -hmm. just thought that was very, very interesting. And I think self-compassion generally is something that the definition is misunderstood. Would you agree, Em? And do you see that a lot in your um, clients? Definitely. I, if you're a client of mine, you're listening right now, you know how passionate I am about self-compassion. And a lot of times I have to, quote-unquote, get my clients on board with self-compassion because they, and I'm not blaming them because it's part of our culture, but they can often believe these myths that we're about to bust for self-compassion. And so I think 90% of my time is spent trying to get people on board with self-compassion and trying to get them to see that, hey, this actually works and this is actually helpful and can mitigate so many mental health struggles. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think the first thing that I noticed when researching self-compassion is that it is a completely different thing than self-esteem. I think Mm -hmm. often the two terms are intertwined. But Emily, do you want to delve a little bit into the differences between the two? Sure, sure. Self-esteem is, and Brene Brown actually talks a lot about these two differences. So this is where a lot of this, um, what I'm about to say, comes from. But she talks about how we don't have to like ourselves all the time in order to be self-compassionate. And this is something that we're going to dive into later when we talk about how to be self-compassionate. But she talks a lot about we don't you don't have to like yourself in order to be, you don't have to like yourself all the time. Because I don't think that's possible for any of us in order to be self-compassionate. Like, because self-esteem, we think about, okay, I can, I feel good about myself. I feel good about the things that I'm doing. But self-compassion says you can feel good about yourself and not always like yourself. And so it's sort of this idea of self-compassion is something that we always have access to. Like you can always have access to being kind to yourself. Sure, it can be really difficult, but we can always say something kind to ourselves, whereas we don't always have self-esteem because, you know, things happen and we don't always feel great about ourselves and that's really normal. But self-compassion is something we can access all the time and that's why I love it so much. Like, I'm so passionate about it because you're not always going to like yourself or love yourself because that's, you know, it's part of being a human is navigating some of those things, some of those struggles, yet we always have access to self-compassion. I know it can feel like we don't when we're in those negative thought spirals or when we're dealing with really hard things, but self-compassion, like I said, is something we always can access and we just have to practice it. Like Ashley said, flexing that self-compassion muscle, it really is a muscle. Like our brains are actually wired to be negative, um, which is actually kind of crazy because you're like, well, how am I supposed to be self-compassionate then? And what we know is that the research shows that we can be self-compassionate with something called neuroplasticity, which basically means that our brains can change, which is really cool because I feel like a lot of people have this idea that you can't change, but with neuroplasticity, we can change through exposure and repetition, which is why I never shut up about self-compassion because (laughs) I want to expose it to people, you know, to my clients and to everybody. But exposure and repetition are two things that really help with self-compassion. Absolutely. And that leads us to our first myth that we wanted to debunk that self-compassion is quote, like the easy way out. 
And Mm -hmm. that's not true at all. It's actually really, really difficult to have self-compassion for yourself and to, you know, be able to identify your emotions and work through them rather than working around them, ignoring them, numbing them, whatever it may be. For example, if you think about it in terms of being compassionate to one of your friends, and if you were to approach them, say they were having a hard day and say, oh, like, shut up. That's just how it is. That's just how life is. You know, you're just a weenie, whatever. You would never say that to one of your friends. But we talk to ourselves like that all the time. And if you're constantly shaming somebody, like you're shaming yourself, you're never, that's never going to beget positive results. It never Mm -hmm. results in things getting easier for you, a positive mindset. It always is just going to take you further and further into that spiral. So really being self-compassionate is not self-pity. It's not the easy way out. It's actually probably one of the hardest things we can do for ourselves. Exactly. Because like I said, our brains are wired to be negative because back in the day when we needed to survive, right, on the land and all that good stuff, our brains had to be wired that way to survive. And even though we were a more civilized society now, our brains are still wired that way. So it's actually really hard to change your brain, especially as an adult. It's really hard to rewire your brain to be less less shameful or less hard on yourself or less overall negative or beating yourself up, it's really hard to do that. So that's first myth busted, that self-compassion is not the easy way out. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the next one that we want to talk about, which is so common, is you're not going to improve if you're easy on yourself, which is absolutely not true. And this, it ties into so many things with our education system and how we're constantly trying to be above average which, you know, if you take a room of a hundred people and everybody there is trying to be above average, like it just mathematically, logically, the math is not mathing. It doesn't work out. Not everybody (laughs) can be above average. So just in general, I feel like the culture that we're surrounded by is we're constantly trying to be the best versions of ourselves, firing firing on all cylinders at all times, have the best education, best job, be making the most money, have the perfect home life, relationships, et cetera, et cetera. And if you have no self-compassion on yourself because you're being so hard on yourself all the time, that's you're not going to improve in any way, shape, or form. Right. Because self-compassion leads to self-empowerment because when you feel good about yourself you're more likely to do things that are good for you but if you're constantly beating yourself up or constantly striving to be the best or constantly striving to do x y and z and never never resting it's really hard for you to want to you know want to be kind to yourself and something I talk to a lot a lot to my clients about is that I'm all for accountability, right? Like if we make a mistake or we mess up, right? Like we should take accountability for that. Yet self-compassion and accountability can exist at the same time, right? I can take accountability for my actions while I can also strive to improve those 
those actions or improve whatever happened. But that doesn't mean I have to beat myself up because what good is that going to do to beat myself up for something that happened, right? So a lot of people feel like, well, I can't improve or I can't take accountability for my actions if I'm not self-compassionate. And that's actually just not true. We can take accountability. We can be self-compassionate and we can improve all at the same time. And that's something that it kind of goes against that black and white thinking, which I know we've touched on a little bit in our podcast the ability to hold all three of those things at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I see this a lot of times in my cycle classes is some people prefer instructors that are very hard on you, like military sergeant type drills, you know, like hurry the hell up, like push yourself harder. (laughs) Don't quit. Don't give up. That seems to be some people's preferred method of working out that is not mine at all I'm constantly trying to get my participants to practice self-compassion while we're riding you know I'll say all the time like it's your own ride do whatever you can do I'm just here to give suggestions and kind of provide an outline it's all up to you how hard you want to go nobody knows how hard you're working except yourself Like, it's really just you versus the bike and nobody else. Nobody has to know how many calories you burned, how many miles you rode. So I try to teach my clients more self-compassion through the ride versus being too hard on them. Because I know for myself, those kind of instructors are never my cup of tea and it just makes me want to quit earlier you know if somebody's yelling at you or being mean Mm -hmm. to you like you do to your own self sometimes then you just want to give up and quit because you're like what's the point that's that's awesome that you take that approach with your classes and with your clients and it kind of proves the point that yes self-compassion leads to self-improvement right if you're building yourself up you're like yeah, I can keep going on this bike. And I find that hard to believe that some people like that instructor, Ash, because I feel like everyone's favorite Peloton instructor is Cody Rigsby. And he, yeah. if you've ever taken a Peloton class, like he's so pro self-love. And so uh-huh. I feel like that's, um, maybe people like think they like that and then they realize, right, right, which the research shows, it doesn't actually help. It helps to be compassionate towards yourself because then you'll want to keep going. I agree. And I think that's a misconception a lot of people have, especially when they're first getting into group fitness formats is they think that they have to have that difficult, you know, discipline coming towards them from that, those type of instructors. But most of the time it just never works out in your favor. No. And sometimes also another myth I think is tying back to the people think that it's being kind of too soft. Like if you're an instructor and Mm -hmm. you're saying like, let's go or keep pushing or you're too motivational. I've also seen the other side of it where clients are like, you know, this is a little too much for me. They're being a little too like a cheerleader. So I think it can also go to both sides. Yeah. I I wonder though, if that mentality goes towards like, self-compassion being weak or self-compassion being mm-hmm. self-pity which is our third um myth and and I think you know I'm not trying to talk for everybody here because I know everyone's different but just what I know the research right like I always go back to the research when it comes to self-compassion because it's hard to refute the research right and so this idea of 
you're not being too soft on yourself or you're not being weak or you're not pitying yourself. You're just saying you're human, right? It's okay to make mistakes or it's okay to not have it all together or it's okay to struggle or it's okay to do X, Y, and Z, right? Like self-compassion is not saying I'm going to throw myself a pity party for the next eight weeks and just be, you know, never strive to improve. Like I'm in the business of helping people change, right? So I wholeheartedly believe that we can have both and that it's not this idea of just be a softy, right? Or just be weak or be easy on yourself. And, you know, you never have to work hard. And it's like, no, those things don't have to exist at this, you know, they don't have to be one or the other. Like they can't exist at the same time. Right, exactly. And I will say I've seen those comments a lot more from men in my classes versus women. And I think a lot of times, you know, I'm not sure what the research is to back this up between genders, but I think that, like we've mentioned in previous episodes, men kind of think self-compassion or, you know, working on your mental health is a sign of weakness, which obviously we know it's not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, you know, think that self-compassion is a struggle for every gender out there. And yeah, I think sometimes men have received those messages around, don't go easy on yourself, like it's the easy way out, like you're just pitying yourself or it's soft. And so I can't wait for a men's mental health episode because I'm sure we'll dive more into that. But yeah, those are, I'm sure there's more myths to self-compassion, but those are the three really common ones that like Ashley and I have just described that I see in my work and she sees in her work and uh, I'm sure there's more but those are the three that we found to be really common Mm -hmm. and to quickly pivot into another related topic is about how it's how self-compassion is tied into productivity culture and wellness culture kind of like I was talking how self-compassion ties into my class formats I see this constantly on social media and especially like TikTok and Pinterest and kind of like the self-improvement type platforms with constant grind culture, you know, waking up at 5 a.m. every day, establishing a routine and how your life is going to be so much better if you journal and eat breakfast and work out every day and read 10 pages and do all these things which just can if we miss some of those things or we realize oh hey like I don't have time to do that or I don't have the resources to do that we just start to feel bad about ourselves Mm -hmm. and I think self-compassion is something that's oftentimes just completely overlooked in our society and culture yeah I would definitely agree that it's overlooked in our culture and it's often because of productivity culture and wellness culture and just how this never stop grinding and there's kind of like we were saying with our myths there's this idea that you can't grind and also have self-compassion because I think a way to have self-compassion is to know when you need to rest right when you need to say hey my body is exhausted from five straight days in the gym or my body's exhausted from working 40 hours this week or my body's exhausted from taking care of my kids and I need to rest and rest is a huge form of self-compassion And it's not talked about enough that, you know, within productivity culture, we have to rest. And I think self-compassion, I wish, you know, rest was just something that we all just were okay with and no one ever felt bad about it. And, you know, it was just a more normalized thing. But self-compassion, when it comes to self-compassion, resting is definitely a way to do that. 
Mm -hmm, absolutely. And I also think that even some activities that can be part of self-compassion, for example, working out and being active, can be things that we also need to take breaks from. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, if you're working out seven days a week, that might be a little too much for you. And you need to take a break and you need to have some self-compassion and say, okay, I need to pull it back. I need to have a couple rest days built in here. And that can be for anything that you have a, a passion about. That could be your job. That could be, you know, for Emily, it could be helping clients and saying like, you know, I want to be able to do something every day of the week and be able to do the podcast on Saturdays and Sundays and help people in that way and then talk to clients Monday through Friday. But you have to realize, okay, I need to pull it back. I need to build in that rest time for myself. And that's something that I've been really big on the last year or two is I will build in every week non-negotiable at least half a day where I'm not doing anything. Like I don't have to work out. I don't have to leave the house. I can sit at home and do nothing and read my mm -hmm. book or do whatever, not even have productive time in terms of cleaning or, you know, running errands or anything like that, but just totally rest, like shut my brain down, just have that time completely to myself, which I think oftentimes goes against this productivity culture because you're told, oh, okay, you have 40 hours of work a week and then you need to work on your side hustles outside of that and you need to work out and you need to make sure you're eating well and you need to have an active social life and you need to be dating and you need to hang out with your family and travel, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It can be we, a lot. <laughs> right. We, there's legitimately not enough time in the day. Which is why we have to make time for rest. And Kristen Knapp actually talks about self-compassion breaks. That's what she calls them. And she says, you have to find time to put those into your day every single time. And that's going to look different for each person. But you have to find self-compassion breaks. You have to find the time to add those into your day. Because like we were saying earlier, self-compassion has to be something that you work. Just like you work out or you work on your day job, you have to work the muscle of self-compassion. And so by adding in those self-compassion breaks, and they don't have to be lengthy, right? Like I actually think it's great that you take, you know, one or two days. And if you don't have the time or the resources for that, take five to ten minutes each day just to give yourself, you know, to do those three components of self-compassion, right? The mindfulness or common humanity or the self-kindness words. Or do something each day or multiple times a day if you can to add in those self-compassion breaks. Mm -hmm. And I think the mindfulness is something that was really revolutionary for me. For example, if we equate mindfulness in this situation to a short two, three minute meditation, you can really realize that a lot of the self-deprecating thoughts we have about ourselves are just thoughts. They're just intrusive thoughts. They don't necessarily mean anything. And when we can take those couple moments of mindfulness and detach ourselves from those thoughts, we realize that they don't have any power over us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So well said. If we can detach ourselves and just let those thoughts be thoughts, it's so powerful. And that's so hard to do, yet it can be done. And I think that's awesome, Ashley, that that was revolutionary for you and you're able to see like, oh, yeah, if I just let my self-deprecating or my negative thoughts be thoughts, I don't give them power. And that's pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. And it's definitely easier said than done, but I'm constantly telling myself, like, I just need to take a couple beats, maybe close my eyes, and I just try to imagine the thoughts, and maybe I'll literally see the words behind my eyes and just kind of see them as, like, clouds floating by mm -hmm. or written on balloons and literally try to visualize, like, these thoughts floating away, and that's something that's really helped me uh, visualize that I'm not actually attached to those thoughts. Yeah, yeah, definitely. One of my favorite ways is to think about, like, leaves on a stream because we don't have a ton of water in Arizona, so I also <laughs> like to, like, visualize the water and just it it's peaceful, right? And so that's also something that's awesome about that mindfulness component is that you get, like, a moment of peace when your mind is beating you up, right? You get a moment of peace. And so, yeah, no, I think that's awesome. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of resources for short mindfulness meditations these days, like the Headspace app, the Calm app. You could mm -hmm. even get a short meditation on YouTube, something of that nature. Yeah, yeah. And something that also is not talked about a ton is, and I see this especially as a trauma therapist, is that when you experience trauma, it's really difficult to be self-compassionate. And so we wanted to spend a couple minutes just talking about how hard that can be and all the negative cognitions that come with trauma and the things that you believe about yourself. And so it can be so hard to be compassionate and have compassion for yourself when you've experienced a trauma of any sorts. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And I think something I've noticed with trauma in my past experience is a lot of minimization and thinking, oh, it wasn't that bad or it's not a big deal. And those are not self-compassionate thoughts at all. And that just makes it, I feel like trauma survivors have a really difficult time with self-compassion, like you said, and it can be one of the revolutionary tools to helping to heal your trauma because Mm -hmm. So much of self-compassion is realizing just the humanity of it. One of the three tenets that you mentioned at the beginning yeah. of the episode is it's all part of, we're all part of the human experience and suffering, unfortunately, is a part of that. And mm -hmm. we can all relate to kind of, kind of this greater force or being or whatever you want to call it of humanity and we're all struggling from time to time we all have hard days we all have hard moments mm -hmm. absolutely one of my favorite quote quotes by a psychotherapist is to be human is to struggle there's absolutely no human being out there who hasn't i experienced some form of struggle in their lifetime or will at some point in their lifetime and so that common humanity piece is really important to recognize that we're not alone and that if you're experiencing really difficult things it's not something that you woke up one day and decided to feel right like you didn't come up with this and so you're not alone and that can be comforting too because it's like well if I'm not alone and other people experience these thoughts then there must there must be someone out there who has researched this and has helped decide oh hey how can we help this right and I know for me with my trauma history um I'm a survivor of sexual child sexual abuse and I also developed an eating disorder in my um 
my teens and my early 20s. And I went to, in my early 20s, I went to eating disorder treatment and trauma treatment. And one of the things that my therapist said to me over and over again is, if you don't stop beating yourself up for this trauma, you will never recover from it and you will never recover from your eating disorder because the the hatred I had towards myself and towards my body was so extreme that it took everything out of me. Like I spent all day thinking about how much I hated myself and it was so hard. And so that's also why I'm such a big believer in self-compassion because I knew there was no way that I was going to heal from my trauma or heal from my eating disorder without self-compassion, without this idea of, I don't need to carry this burden of hating myself for the rest of my life. One, my trauma wasn't my fault. And two, whatever I did to cope with it was how I survived. And so that's, Mm -hmm. you know, I know that was getting kind of deep, but that's my own personal journey with self-compassion and just how, how hard it can be when you're struggling and when you're navigating through really difficult things, how hard it can be to be kind to yourself and how important it is at the same time. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing that, Em. I really, really appreciate it. I know that can be difficult to talk about, so really appreciate you being brave and opening up to us. But I think in general we can both agree that trauma can literally, I mean, it's scientifically proven, it can rewire your brain. So sometimes it's like the the self-compassion, you know, if you picture it as like a ball, is not connecting to the other parts of your brain and Mm -hmm. it there's so much shame surrounding victims of trauma for whatever you know whatever avenue your trauma was from and this is what Brene Brown talks about talks a lot about too with shame is you don't talk about it so you have you think it's your fault you don't get help for it you have no no ability to have self-compassion because kind of like you said you blame it on yourself you start to hate yourself and then it can spiral into other things like addictions eating disorders and other -hmm. things that can really start to negatively affect your life so um i don't know self-compassion is something that we're both really really passionate about and that's one of the main goals of our podcast is even just getting help and assistance with your mental health is an act of self-compassion like going to therapy is an act of self-compassion talking about your mental health to a friend or your shared experiences is an act of self-compassion and Mm -hmm. i think unfortunately lack of having self-compassion is why some people really struggle with being able to reach out to a therapist or another professional and being able to talk about your mental health because some people truly don't think that they deserve it or don't understand yeah. that what happened to them is valid and they deserve help. And I won't speak for everybody, but I know for myself and for a lot of the people that I work with is that it's the shame. The shame of sometimes what happened to you is so powerful. And shame is what leads to hating yourself, right? The shame that we feel and the, sh- the shame is what leads to the inability to be self-compassionate. And so it can be really hard to say, to fight through that shame and even ask for help. And so that's such a good point, Ashley, is that the shame is so powerful 
And that self-compassion is truly like a kryptonite to shame because if we're compassionate, our shame cannot exist. And I know that's why I you know, talked about my experience a little bit is because I know that as soon as I let go of that shame is when I was, you know, it didn't happen overnight, of course, but that's when I felt like, okay, I can heal from my trauma and I can heal from my eating disorder. And I've been in recovery for my eating disorder for about two years now. And so Again, that's why I keep saying this. I sound like a broken record, which my clients also know. I sound like a broken record with self-compassion. But that's why I believe in it because I saw it for myself and I see it every day in the work I do. Opening up and talking about experiences that you might find shameful is literally like holding a light onto it and having it disappear. It's almost like this is such a corny reference, but... um, what is in Harry Potter when like Voldemort can't be around the light or whatever. And then (laughs) like the sunlight comes out and he burns up or maybe that's a different show. I honestly, or movie. (laughs) I honestly, I honestly, God don't remember, but (laughs) it's like shame cannot exist with these certain factors. And one of those is sharing your experiences and talking about Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. and having Mm self-compassion. Yeah. Empathy right? Mm -hmm. Empathy will help you let go of the shame and that empathy can be from other people and that empathy can be from your, or I think a large part of it needs to be from yourself. And I mean, I know for me, like the group therapy I did and my therapist, just the empathy I felt from them was really powerful. And of course I had to give myself that same empathy that they were giving me because I needed to feel it. I needed to feel it like in my, I needed that light or that whatever you were just referenced. You were just talking about Ashley. I needed to feel it. I think I was talking about Halloween town, not Harry Potter. (laughs) So I'm so sorry to our Potterhead audience. (laughs) Yeah. We might've just offended some people. So sorry if that's you. Hopefully Uh, they're still listening. (laughs) Well, Ashley, do you, since I shared a little bit about my journey with self-compassion, do you want to share a little bit about yours? Yeah, absolutely. So my journey to self-compassion is absolutely ever-evolving. I feel like for all of us, that's the case. It's definitely helped with going to therapy and learning some of those uh, tools, like, for example, the meditation and mindfulness that I shared earlier. So one of my biggest tools to improving my self-compassion, honestly, was deleting social media and especially Instagram and Facebook because I never realized how often I was comparing myself to other people, especially other women that, you know, had, for example, physical bodies that I felt were unattainable for me or routines or lifestyles or travel experiences that I was just constantly comparing myself to and putting myself down, which once I got off social media and I totally stopped that constant comparison game, it really changed everything for me. And I realized I can just be myself and do whatever I want, look however I want, say and think whatever I want. And the only person that it really matters for is myself. I'm not I'm no longer trying to, you know, dress to impress other people. I'm not working out to have this ideal body type for other people. I'm just doing it for myself. So for me, that was absolutely revolutionary was getting off social media. And then another example 
just from this morning is I'm really hard on myself, especially with working out and teaching my cycle classes. Like I spend, so I teach four times a week right now, and I spend probably like six plus hours on each routine that I do, and each routine is 45 minutes, and I spend almost half a day trying to just make that routine, which anytime I tell somebody else that teaches cycle that, they're like, that is such an extreme amount of time because I'm <laughs> constantly trying to like pick the perfect songs that go together, that fit in this playlist, make the routine hard enough, make sure everything lines up musically with the beats and make sure that I am curating the best possible experience. And for example, this morning I had a class at 8 a.m., and I've just been in a really down mood for the last couple of days for whatever reason. I was not feeling it. I did not have any energy. I just recycled this old routine that I had already used before, which I tried to never do. And I got into class and the whole time I was teaching, I'm like, this is garbage. This sucks. My mind kept wandering. I just couldn't wait till it was over. I'm like, if I can't, if I was a participant in this class, and it was my first time riding with me, I would literally never come back. And then as soon as I was done... Sounds like you needed and, some self-compassion there, Ash. Oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> and as soon as I was done, the people, when they were leaving, came up to me. They were like, that was a, an amazing ride. Thanks so much. And I'm like, why, why are you lying? Like, that? <laughs> I know that routine was garbage. And I came home and I told my boyfriend that. He's like, I think you're just way too hard on yourself. Like, you're putting your expectations for where you think you need to be at way too high. And I'm sure it wasn't that bad. I'm like, you know what? That's true. I'm mm -hmm. expecting something, a product that is absolutely perfect every time, which is just not going to be the case. I mean, no person goes to work every day and operates at 100% capacity every single day and that's fine you don't have to so that's yeah. absolutely a work in progress of something that you know I'm working on every day trying not to be so hard on myself and just knowing that as long as I'm putting my authentic voice in my routines and doing things that I feel are fun and helpful to the people in my classes that's all I can do yeah, yeah, and actually that actually kind of leads into what we want to talk about, like, and I know we've been touching on this a little bit about, like, how self-compassion works, but when you say it's something I try to do every day, and then, um, it is something that we do need to practice, that we have to practice being self-compassionate every day, like, that repetition and that exposure to kind thoughts is really important, because it, like, I mentioned the word neuroplasticity earlier, and I know it sounds like a big, scary word, but it's actually pretty simple broken down is that our, it's not simple actually, because it's a very hard process, but broken down neuroplasticity basically means that we have the ability to change our brains. Like what therapists have been saying for hundreds of years, like therapy can change you. Now we have the research backed up that says, okay, we actually can rewire our brain. It just takes some time. It takes healing. It takes self-compassion. It takes unlearning, you know, beliefs. It takes unlearning messages. It takes unlearning 
negative self-talk and self-hatred and learning, okay, I can be self-compassionate. I can learn to let go of my shame. I can learn to be kinder to myself. I can learn to just not be at war with myself. I think that's something that Mm -hmm. is my mission as a therapist is to help people just not be at war with themselves because it's, it sucks. It's time consuming. Mm -hmm. It puts a lot of stress on your body. Like it's really difficult. And so that's a big thing that I talk about with my clients is this idea of let's just, I don't need you to love yourself, be obsessed with yourself, or spend every single day loving yourself. No. Let's just try to be a bit more kinder to ourselves because fighting with yourself all the time is fucking exhausting. Yeah, absolutely. And that reminds me of a a different part of my journey that I wanted to talk about uh, briefly, if that's okay, Em. But Mm -hmm. that's something I've worked a lot through in therapy is I have PMDD, which is also... Um, premenstrual dysphoric disorder which we'll have we could probably do an entire episode on it but basically I just know at certain times around my cycle like I deal with really bad OCD intrusive thoughts rumination that sometimes it can literally be two weeks like the week before my period and the week after just depending on the month that I know during those times Like, I have to go to therapy. I can't do certain Mm. things, especially around, you know, certain themes that my rumination will kind of be around, whether it's safety or my relationship or whatever. Like, I won't watch stressful shows or movies. I'll make sure that I have to have certain routines in place. And, you know, I'll even go as far as like planning trips and hanging out with people around those times because I know I'm not going to be my best self. And that to me is like the ultimate form of self-compassion. It's just totally knowing my body and my mind and knowing like, okay, I need to be extra self-compassionate during these, you know, 14 days or whatever it ends up being in order to be my best self because for a long time I would just beat myself up about it before I really understood what chemically was going on and being like oh I'm just weak something's just wrong with me like why can't I just deal with it like everybody else and then once I realized that that's obviously not working it hasn't worked for 20 something years let's try something else it's you know it's still a really difficult time for me those couple days but it's absolutely help to have those routines in place and be able to practice that self-compassion for myself mm-hmm, mm-hmm. no Ashley I'm so glad that you mentioned that part of your journey because I imagine that other women out there can relate um, mm-hmm. and you actually hit the nail on the coffin about self-compassion is that if beating myself up would have worked if beating myself up worked it would have worked by now Right? right? So let's try something new. And that's kind of how I get, like, my clients to get on board with it a little bit is, like, okay, let's just try it. Right? Like, if you yeah. hate it, <laughs> you, we can stop. But let's just try it. Let's just try to be a little bit more kinder to ourselves. Let's just try to do something that's a little bit different than what your brain's used to. And just see. Let's just see how your brain and body reacts. Let's just see. Right? Like, and I think, like, right. just that, that mentality that, okay, I can just try I can just try to be a little bit kind 
kind of to myself because it's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to wake up one day being so self-deprecating the next day be like, you know what, I love myself. No, it's not going to work like that. So I always tell my clients, like, just try. That's all I ever ask is that you just try and we can work on it, right? It might be hard at first, but we can work on it. And like I was saying before, we know that the more your brain is exposed to that and your body, right, like Ashley was talking about, like the rest um, and scheduling things that are helpful for her in that time, the more your brain and body gets exposure to that, the more likely you are to have that neuroplasticity happen and have your brain be more wired to just be compassionate to yourself more often than not. Mm -hmm. And I think that self-compassion is something that women really struggle with in terms of body image, especially kind of like I was talking about earlier with social media where in, in the fitness space, we're constantly inundated with these quote, perfect bodies, a lot of things that are face-tuned and photoshopped and I know for myself I'm constantly getting down on my body with being like oh I'm working out x amount of times a week and I don't look like I think that I should look and we'll certainly delve into this in future episodes because it's a much broader topic in terms of uh, body image and diet and fitness goals and all that good stuff but it is really difficult for women to have that compassion around their body image. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And as a body image and eating disorder therapist who also had an eating disorder, I can definitely definitely relate to that. And we'll definitely get more into that in another episode. But definitely a way to be to start to be more compassionate to yourself is the idea of body neutrality. This idea that, the kind of like I was saying, like, why not try and not be at war with yourself or your body and just try to be Switzerland, right? Like just try to be a little bit more neutral where I don't have to love myself or love my body every single day. But what if I just didn't hate it? Like what What if? Like people with anxiety can definitely relate to these what if thoughts. So what if we just tried to be a little bit more kinder by being a little bit more neutral? Like sometimes neutrality is a little bit easier to for the brain to grasp than compassion or positivity and so that's why um and if you don't know what body neutrality is i definitely recommend looking up some resources around it because it can be really powerful um but yeah just trying something different can be really impactful when it comes to Mm self-compassion and i think also in some research i've done is realizing that having more self-compassion can lead to you having more compassion empathy for other people in your life like your friends and family because if you're understanding you know I'm going through a hard time myself this is difficult everybody goes through a hard time etc etc when somebody comes to you with an issue you're going to be a lot more understanding and well equipped to be able to help take that on with them versus before Mm -hmm. it's not to say that you aren't able to have compassion or empathy for other people but I really noticed when I started working on my own shit, it was a lot easier for me to be able to take on other people's burdens as well. Yeah, and we we touched on that in our toxic positivity episode about like how it can be hard to be compassionate or understanding to other people if you struggle with that for yourself. And so I think that's a great point, Ashley, that the more compassion and the more empathetic we can be towards ourselves, the more we can give that out to the world and to the people around us. Mm-hmm. 
And I think we wanted to touch a little bit on inner child work. And I think, you know, Emily can definitely speak on this a lot more eloquently than I can <laughs> as she's a therapist. But that also tries t can tie into trauma work as well. Yeah, definitely. I... I love inner child work, and so we will definitely do a full episode on inner child work. But essentially, it's a lot of times I ask my clients, like, would you say that to a 12-year-old, to a 4-year-old, to a 10-year-old, to a 16-year-old? Usually the answer is no. I would say, you know, 9.9 .9 times out of 10, the answer is no. I would never say that to a child. And so it's like, well, you are saying that to your inner child, every time you say those things to yourself. And so if you can't have compassion for the 30-year-old, the 28-year-old, the 48-year-old, why don't you start by trying to have compassion for those younger parts of you? And oftentimes, again, self-compassion is kind of like, what can I get my brain to get on board with a little bit easier than maybe just full-on kindness or full-on affirmations? And so self-inner child work can be a way to be like, you know what, yeah, I probably wouldn't say that to a 5-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 16-year-old, so why don't I try not to say those things to myself by saying kinder things to my younger self in addition um, to trying to be kind to yourself now. It can be a little bit easier to be like, okay, I'll be, um, I could be a little nicer to my 10-year-old self or however old my, you know, my hurting younger self is. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and I feel like a lot of people probably don't practice self-compassion because they never had it growing up or maybe they didn't see the adults in their life practicing compassion with themselves or with their families which a lot of it is just ignorance you know when you know better you do better I feel like that's mm -hmm. the constant theme of this podcast is once you know and can learn these things you can help pass them on to other people so mm -hmm. being able to work on your own self-compassion like we said can you can help teach those lessons to other people around you too and if you find yourself struggling with being able to work on your self-compassion at all we definitely recommend reaching out to a licensed therapist because yeah we can say like listen to a meditation repeat these affirmations which certainly are great tools to have in your pocket but sometimes it does go a little bit deeper it could be trauma work that you need to work through. It could be something from your childhood or something with your family and relationships. So definitely we encourage you to reach out for professional help if you feel like that could be beneficial. Absolutely. Because, you know, we know that self-compassion is really hard. And so if you're, if you listen to this whole podcast and you're like, okay, that all sounds great, but I don't think I can do that for myself. Like Ashley said, we encourage you to reach out and get support around this because we know it's not easy. You're literally changing your brain. Um, if you're being self-compassionate to yourself over time. And so that's why it's not easy. And so, yeah, we encourage you to reach out to somebody and we hope that this podcast was that this episode was helpful for you because self-compassion is definitely a journey so if this is whether you're an expert at self-compassion or you've never heard the term or you're just starting out it's really difficult and so any type of support you can get around it we definitely encourage mm -hmm. absolutely because sometimes we don't even know why we're doing the things that we're doing or reacting the way that we are so 
hey, it could just be that you need somebody with a professional degree to be able to dig a little bit deeper into your past and say like, hey, maybe this is why you got that going on. It could be so, so don't feel bad if some things are resonating with you, but you're saying, I don't know why I can't feel this right. for myself because that's okay. <laughs> right. And like Ashley and I said, we both had our own journeys with it. So, and I know journey is such, it's such a corny term, but yeah. it really is <laughs> like, you. it's like a path, like you got to get there. It doesn't just happen overnight. And so, yeah, definitely don't feel bad if you struggle with it. It's really like one of the components is common humanity. So it's really common to struggle with the ability to be self-compassionate Yep, and just know that you're not alone, and there are tools out there to help you. And like Emily said, it's a day-by-day thing. It's a muscle that you strengthen every day. And, you know, just think about if you work on it a little tiny bit every single day where you could be mm-hmm. at a year from now. So you're, mm-hmm. you might not see massive steps day-by-day, week-by-week, but you really can change your life with being able to focus and learn some self-compassion. Mm -hmm. absolutely it can be life-changing and like we said if anything resonated with you definitely make sure to reach out to a professional and we have some more exciting episodes coming up we have a interview with a registered dietitian so we'll make sure to throw up some questions onto our instagram if you have any questions for her around body image diet nutrition all that good stuff so We look forward to it, and as always, make sure to leave a review and message us on Instagram if anything resonated with you. Be sure to follow us at Because We Went to Therapy on Instagram. Thanks again for tuning in, and hope you guys have a great rest of your week. Love you, Em. Love your ash.